Got a treat for you guys. It's GG Lucas. This is episode 47, and the episode starts right now. All right, this is episode 47 of the Option Podcast. And everybody kept asking me, Jason, how come you only got volleyball players? Where, where, where? It's supposed to be called the Option. The Option means one or, two, one or more choices. So today, I got a treat for you because for me, I've got to give the people, I'll give the people what they want. Gigi Lucas, what's good, girl? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Hey, for everybody listening, Gigi Lucas is a killer surfer, okay? And she's here to talk about what she's about, and and we're definitely going to get into that. But before we got on the podcast, I was telling you we, um, I was going to make him. I'm definitely, I definitely want to share some ideas with you. We should do a cancel culture satire uh, thread, right? And the first one, right? Like, um, see the the t-shirt people. This is Thanos. Anyone who watch Avengers, Avengers, you know damn well who Thanos is. So, so if I'm wearing a Thanos, Thanos t-shirt, cancel culture says, wait, you believe in getting rid of half, half the population. You support genocide. You've been canceled. <laughs> right? Good idea, right? Or Paw Patrol, right? You, if you support domestic to a cruelty, a cruelty to animals, a cruelty to domestic animals. You support uh, child labor. <laughs> canceled. <laughs> Cancel. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> so listen, you just came from the water, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, you got me. I was not supposed to be on like FaceTime here, but you know what? This is the real deal. This is what you get. Yes, look, it's on your head like her. And and <laughs> it doesn't even look like <laughs> that's the cool thing about braids sometimes, right? Like only it's only your secret. Like <laughs> Jason, these are locks. Like, stop. We're gonna have to have that conversation. <laughs> Cancelled. <laughs> Don't know hair from locks. Cancelled. <laughs> and you know what the sad thing is? My sister, my kid sister, has dreadlocks. Cause, um, as you know, I'm mulatto. I'm mixed. So, all of the, all of us came out lighter complexion, but we all got, re- you know, like really thick, the kinky hair. hair. Yeah. So, cool. So, um. I want to talk about before I drive us both off the cliff and promise to bring us back and do more talking than you, which is ridiculous. I want to talk about textured waves. Educate the my audience, my volleyball people. A lot of them are surfers, too, as you know. It's beach volleyball. It's almost a cross culture. Um, educate our audience on what text. what is textured waves. Yeah, yeah. So um, textured waves was actually, it started off as a passion project aside from Surf Guide Negative for me. So that was about not, it's like barely a year ago, I believe that Texture Waves started officially. And um, it was founded with three other amazing dynamic women of color surfers who are also in the industry to put out something different on social media where we showcase the beauty of women of color, lady sliders, i.e. surfers. So yeah, we initially it was literally just supposed to be an Instagram page and then it turned into almost like this collective and then Black Lives Matter movement happened and then it just blew up. Yeah. So basically you're just trying to promote the uh, um, the art and the science of getting more more female surfers in, but particularly uh, women of color. Right. Or is it specifically African-American? 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was all about representation, right? Representation matters. I know that's a hashtag and people use it all the time, but fact of the matter is that we existed, but you didn't see us on social anywhere. So there was probably maybe like six people that had a presence, but there were so many more of us in the world. And as you can see on the Instagram page, I mean, it's full of these beautiful, amazing women of color who are surfers. And that's something that the industry didn't show before. Yep. Yeah, this is um, this is the article in Vogue right here. Just trying to show the audience. Anybody wants to do more reading up on that? And um, well, I'm, not, well, I'm not talking about we use cookies. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about this. Zoom in. <laughs> Look at these divas. Oh, my God. At least in Vogue is here in spirit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, you make me want to hold on. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, that was a fun shoot. That was um, mm. the SIA campaign that we shot for their summer 20 collection. And from my knowledge and from any research I've ever done, that's the first time ever that a surf brand featured women of color as like the headliners in their campaign. So that's groundbreaking in itself. And it was it was really cool to see it come to life. The owner, Amanda of the SIA, was extremely generous and with not only her platform, but also with like creative control in terms of telling the story, just really allowed us to do our thing and bring everything to life. So it turned out well, it turned out well. Well, I think it almost, nine out of 10 times, it always turns out well when you give people creative control, you know? So um, that's, that's, it is what it is, especially people who have been uh, balls deep, neck deep in it. Then I just, I I just, (laughs) I just said balls deep. See, that's what you get for yeah, being on my show. It. Yeah, right. There go my sponsors. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Jason, kids watch this show. All right. Well, it's volleyball's deep. Okay. Um, so <laughs> no, but uh, do you agree? Right. It, like, if someone's ingratiated themselves in it and they want to promote it, it would be nice to have people that have been doing it for a long time. Um, yeah. Having, yeah. Especially when it's especially when it's a story about a personal experience, like race. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes people want to want to make it palatable to make it quote unquote sellable. But I think we're in a time and space where people value authenticity more than they do, you know, FaceTime. So the fact that we were able to tell our story and tell it in a real way, but not just like what the negative parts of that history look like, but what the beautiful things were, the joy and like, the fact that we did as a people have an, like a, a lifestyle that was aquatic, it just wasn't told or shown in history books. No, That's no, it. No, no doubt. I mm-hmm. totally agree. Well, from um, just a general baseline stamp, standpoint, white or black, um, color notwithstanding, I never want to be in the situation where someone else is calling the shots, but I'm the one responsible for the material, Right. They're like, nope, nope, do it this way, do it that way, do it this way. And then when the product, <laughs> then when the product is bad, well, 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 it's hers. It's not mine. I'm just like, this is why you don't put yourself in that freaking positions. Sorry. Um, and I, I like it because we both know, um, like many sports, uh, my wheelhouse is volleyball. Uh, we're both um, mixed martial arts enthusiasts, which we're definitely going to get into uh, at some point in this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. You're, 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 you're all about that kickboxing, right? I, you know, it's funny. I used to be really into it. Um, and this might get me canceled. So Ronda Rousey, I was just like, yeah, man, she's a beast. Like, she's so talented. But then it started getting less about the actual technique and the skill and more about the drama and the things that will pull viewers. So then I just kind of like 
it, it reminds me kind of of in the NBA. Like yeah. I'm back in the day where like knit the Knicks versus, <laughs> this is where they literally went to war. Knicks versus paint, everybody. Literally. Everyone's like Knicks versus Bulls was a great rivalry. Right? And that's the one highlighted because it's Jordan. But yeah. if you were the Pistons, if the you Pistons. were the Suns, well, Barkley yes. was with the Suns. If you were Reggie Miller and the Pacers, if you even, if you were the, 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 the Jersey, if you were the Nets, oh, oh, just, you know, over the GW bridge, anyone. Oh my gosh, Jason Kidd, yes. like, come to on, quote Uncle Murder, to quote, to quote Uncle Murder, anybody could get it <laughs> seriously and see it was it's funny like i appreciate where the sport is now speaking about the nba but there was something very raw and authentic about it back then right it was just like you better come in here with like you, you cannot if you call a foul if you call a foul and the ref is not hasn't called anything you need to get off the floor yeah but now i have a friend it's not me it's not i didn't quote it but i have a friend who was like man it's a bunch of actresses now but it's like, in some way, I get it. I get it. There's a, a different mindset around how to play the game. Mm-hmm. There's a different mindset in terms of like, who's influential and who, like you said, who calls the shots now. There's a shift happening, which I appreciate, but it the, it has impacted the game as a whole. Yeah. I and think I it's the same way about MMA. I think the, the only challenge of that is if there's an oversaturation of it, then it's then it's not drama anymore. If it's drama all the time. Like WWE, you know, sports entertainment. If everybody's going through it off the steel cage into a, into a, fuck, a fucking table um, every week, it's not a big event. It's not something that goes viral. Like, oh my God, you got to see this. Saw that last week, you know? Uh, Blake Griffin put it the best too. He says, it's easy to sit there and push somebody and act like a hard rock when you know like two seconds from that, there's, there's a whole bunch of people going to stand in between you. He's like, anyone, he says, anyone that, that really wants to fight me, we can just do it outside in the parking lot or maybe do, you know, get licensed and do it in the cage. And that's when everybody stopped bowing up on him because everybody's like, oh, he's soft. He's soft. He lets people go and i'm like i know people that keep shit inside until it until it explodes and i'm like they need to leave this dude alone because when when he explodes not if they're gonna be like what's wrong with him because he's that type of personality that that doesn't stop it from jump he just lets it he's he's that dog you just keep poking and poking and then chomp there goes your arm dude (laughs) clean off you know um yeah, because those I'm not personality. That's why I don't, you know, I'm not out there looking for trouble. You know, that's I look, why you're not in the octagon. Yeah, yeah. Well, from the military, it's almost it's just as bad. <laughs> right? You look at you overseas, it's like you're looking for trouble. But um, I love I love fighting. I love the art of it. And I love the clean transitions, the jiu-jitsu. I love the um, kick, eight point striking, elbows, knees, feet, hands. Um, I love wrestling. And I love all of those things. So they found a way and, you know, found a set of rules, a guidelines, universally recognized rules on how on how to promote the sport where it doesn't look like it's John McCain called human cockfighting, you know. Yeah, he, he tried to cancel the UFC um, and he succeeded for a long time, but that wasn't because he objected to that. It's because his wife... Um, who had a partnership with Bud Light and Bud Light was the biggest sponsor for boxing. So, and... Boxing, the more people like MMA, the less people are going to watch boxing, where just people just fight with their hands and, you know. Um, That's yeah. And I mean, I, I, I like, I like uh, uh, MMA, not, not necessarily just UFC, because if you're in a real fight and you someone wrestles you down, you're not going to be like, let's stand up and bang, man. You know, I'm like, no, dude, you started the fight with me. 
you're in my face out of anger. You're bowing up on me, and and you you talking all this nonsense. You're gonna crush me. But then when I take you down, put my tongue on you put it. my tongue on your forehead a little bit, knowing you can't do nothing. Now all of a sudden you wanna you wanna bang, which sounds completely stranger. The only thing stranger than wrestling another man to the ground is saying the other guy's saying I wanna bang. Uh, <laughs> I wanna bang, man. I'm just like. Ooh, okay, gotta, so you're I, not here to fight. <laughs> I just got an up close visual of you yeah. licking somebody's forehead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you want to bang? <laughs> doesn't anybody, doesn't anybody um need anymore? Um, <sighs> okay. See what I'm talking about, Jason? Yes. Canceled culture. <laughs> yes, we've been canceled. Yep. Canceled. Listen, like Joe Rogan, they could come and try. <laughs> He almost got canceled. Or they, not almost. No, not even close. They tried to cancel him because he stuck his his head in politics a little bit. You know, when yeah. you have guests, when you have Bernie Sanders on your podcast, you have Tulsi Gabbard, you know, Gary Johnson. You're not just doing comedians anymore. You're doing um, actors. Um, of course, he's an MMA commentator, so it's no it's no biggie to see John Jones or even Dana White or Chael Sonnen on this thing um, or Michael Bisbing. But... Joe Rogan said something, and I swear to God, I'm gonna let you talk because this is this is somehow, right. somewhere. If you ever listen to my podcast, it all comes back. Um, I have. That's Joe, why I'm chilling. I got my tea. Joe Give Rogan. Me the tea. I know. You, I'm, I can't tell you what's in here. I mean, my, my some of my players know. The people who know me for a long time. Um, you know, my birthday sometimes I mix drinks and everybody gets a little little happy. See, look at your smiles. Like 482 teeth. Um, it's always like this. It's yes. always like. <laughs> Good grief, it's beautiful, and it's just Thank makes you. me want to go brush my teeth. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, so this is how it started. Joe Rogan had Sanders on his podcast, and then he had one of his comedian friends, and he said something you'll appreciate. Everyone listening, listen to this part. It's very easy to take someone at their worst moment, mm. um, to take their worst moment or moments, um, take all the good stuff, just throw it out, and just isolate that worst moment or moments and say that's who that person is as a collective whole. It is as easy as it is lazy. All right. I called it lazy. He never called it that. He just said it's easy. He said, with that being said, you're not going to find too many worse moments for Bernie Sanders. He says, I'm, maybe I might vote for him, you know? And then when he said that, it hit national news. Joe Rogan endorses yeah. Bernie Sanders. He didn't yeah. endorse him, but it's very CNN, MSNBC, Fox. Yeah. Everybody's getting on board. Fox is like, well, well, Joe, well, Joe's a, a, a homophobic and a, and a, and a um, transphobic. Oh, so so he endorses Bernie. That means Bernie uh, um, is in, is in favor of transphobia. So because, listen, if you're not an establishment ca- candidate, and I didn't, I, Bernie this time around wasn't my first choice. He's my first choice in 2016, but I just mm-hmm. want a candidate that can live. And, and think yeah. at the same time, yeah. which is uh, this is going to be a challenge. But <laughs> the threshold um, is lowered so far. <laughs> so what happened is uh, um, they changed it to this saying, "I probably vote for him to an endorsement," and the endorsement came made it easier for them to attack Bernie on people that never listen to Joe Rogan. You know, yeah. um, he's anyone that's listened to him, he's not a homophobic. He's yeah. all of his comedians, well, half his know, comedians are gay, and, and he's not know. a transphobic. He's. Yeah. Do you remember the conversation we had about that? There was a male fighter that mm-hmm. had a a, yes, a, a, a sex change, a, a sex operation, yeah. 
and yeah. less than a year removed from the sex operation where the hormones and all that stuff didn't even have a chance to to manifest and become the full yeah. whatever he's in that cage His, the name is fallon fox people he's in that cage mm -hmm. starching women broken mm -hmm. faces broken jaws and joe didn't say he doesn't he or she doesn't belong she doesn't belong he's saying let's have right. a we need to have a conversation about this not right. from a sex standpoint not from a, a misogynist standpoint from a science and mixed martial arts standpoint we need to have a conversation about this uh and yeah. that of course paging dr strawman paging dr strawman he's he, all of a sudden he's transphobic um yeah. um thoughts? there's something though that um maya angelou said a while ago and i'm gonna quote the great maya angelou she said that people will never remember what you said but they'll remember how you made them feel and I think that's especially true nowadays where people are very in touch with their emotions and a lot of times emotions sometimes trump logic. Um, but especially when you are a mouthpiece for the world or for a massive amount of people, you do have to be cognizant of how you make people feel despite you know what your intentions were, right? So it is a challenge now with cancel culture. It is a challenge now that people can take something very simple and then twist it to their own agenda based on whatever it is they want to see happen. And then legitimately, like you said, take the worst moment and then trump everything else good that person has done. But at the end of the day, I think if we do pick up that torch and be a mouthpiece, especially people like you who have a very positive and very strong platform, mm -hmm. like we have to keep that in the back of our mind. People won't always remember what we come out of our mouth and what we meant but how they feel that's what they'll remember of course and how they yeah. feel the problem is how they feel is it comes from their heart and when someone speaks out of turn sometimes it comes from a place in their heart um, mm -hmm. but then sometimes it just comes from what's not in their head they're not educated right um sorry no you go <laughs> uh, listen i got this whole podcast uh-uh you go the floor is yours <laughs> No, no, it's it's funny because um, a couple of years ago, I um, I came to this kind of, like I went to some conference, and they said that people's perceptions or paradigms is based on primarily the deficiency within themselves, right? So if it's spiritual, if it's intellectual, if it's experiential, whatever it may be, they speak from where that deficit is, right? Because if they if they didn't have the deficit, they would have a context to actually rationalize whatever was happening. And so you're right. Like a lot of people do speak from places where it's a lack of knowledge, myself included, right? Because I remember when I first started surfing, I was just like, oh, there's no black women surfing. But that was because I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the reality. Right. So I think that 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 happens a lot nowadays that people speak from a deficit from where they are. Yeah. Which is which is hard. It's hard. It's their reality, mm -hmm. but it's not everybody's reality, unfortunately. I think people can be able to talk to each other more if they just um, at least preface their comments by saying they're admittedly flawed on the subject matter. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, here's here's one of my biases. I grew up. Um, and, and high school volleyball in New York is, is Chinese dominated. There are more Asians. I, I'm starting to think there are more Chinese people in New York than there are in Hong Kong. Okay, but, you know, they don't let you in the circle. They keep amongst themselves. To me, they're a bunch of racists, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I will say, this is from my own experience. And if I'm wrong, and if there's a, a more of a why to this, write me, message me, educate me. 
don't cancel me, but let, you know, let's talk. Um, here's another yeah. example, and this one you probably might agree with uh, more than most. Jason Olive definitely would. Eric Anderson definitely would. For me, anyone that says all lives matter, when you say black lives matter, my bias says this guy probably doesn't have any black friends. <laughs> guy probably he doesn't have any black friends. <laughs> Couldn't say all lives matter with a table full of black dudes, you know. Good luck with that, you know. I mean, you you yeah, might. I, I mean, yeah. you might find one that says you're right, but he ain't. I mean, but you're not gonna say all lives matter, and that's the common denominator, and that's it. So, I I'm listen. I'm probably wrong. Maybe that person that says all lives matter does have black friends. Educate me. Write to me. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> but what you don't want to do is tune someone out. They're wrong and this and that. And cancel culture, that's what they tried to do with Joe Rogan. But the reason why Joe Rogan even had the platform in the first place is he averages 4.5 million views on YouTube. Yeah. 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 Which, by yeah. the way, he's leaving. He's, he's signed a $100 million, $100 million, $100 million contract with Spotify. So, I know that's right. So, Secure the bag, Joe. Secure yeah. the bag. <laughs> yeah. cancel, no, it's funny because we talked about this before too. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who works for a major publication out in LA and she covers protests, right? She goes to multiple protests that have been happening for the past umpteen weeks. And one thing she said was exactly that, is that each side, the ironic thing is that they're pretty much saying the same thing, but they're too busy trying to mute the other one to make themselves feel right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they don't want to hear it. No one wants to like sit down and have a rational conversation to learn and to figure out how we can move forward. Right. It's, um, it's like that thing where we're marching towards a stalemate and everybody's okay with that. And that's a, that's a challenge. It's a challenge. Now it it will continue to be a challenge as long as we, as a society keeps that mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like cancel culture, it's funny because we were just laughing about it, but cancel culture is a very real and serious thing on it's, both it's, sides. It's designed of the to silence the majority. Yeah. Our friends, yeah. okay? Um, your friends, my friends, uh, different. I mean, you and I, I think it's safe to say that our, um, uh, how could I say, ethnic uh, diversity of friends. <laughs> seems infinite we, we probably have races or we never even heard of because because yeah. of the circulation of friends you generate on your platform uh of surfing which i promise i'll get back into me, <laughs> me you know me just volleyball you know ex-military guy my major is theater performance in college so i got a lot of friends too and we all feel the same way but when there's a certain group of people that gas you get gaslighted for having your own your own views you get uh, um, people gaslighting, mean, meaning people, bludgeon, they're prepared to debate. So they have all this information that you don't. You don't have information to combat that or debunk their information. They're ready, hot 97 round ready, designed to make you feel stupid <coughs> and how, educa- how uneducated you are. And then what happens is you're just like, all right, I'm just not going to have this conversation. Like, uh, maybe I don't yeah. know better or maybe I do know better, but clearly there's yeah. no there's no way to get my point across i'm just getting i'm getting yeah. bludgeoned i'm getting beaten beaten yeah. to death and those people are made gaslighting is is designed to make those people feel like that there's there there's only one or two people out there like them yeah out there yeah. when when yeah. in truth is it's all of us we're, we're we are i call us the silent majority <laughs> yeah. yeah you know it's funny when you inco- like when i personally encounter that situation where and, and here's the thing like I am very well aware of, especially at my age, what my limits are, what I know and what I don't know, right? I'll be the first to tell you what I don't know. 
when I have encountered situations like that, and it it's obvious that that person like like amped up, they went into hardcore mental training to have this conversation. I take the I take the role of learner, so I just ask more questions. I have a really good friend who was the most incredible active listener, and when I do that, it becomes apparent to me that one they were never they never intended to have a conversation they just wanted to speak so it was always meant to be one way so why would i waste my energy and my intelligence on that conversation right so it kind of like takes the wind out of it takes out of the gaslighting takes the wind out of the ego and just lets them speak and then after like literally a couple of minutes they realize that i actually don't know as much as they don't know or they don't know as much as they don't they think they know well I think the more questions you ask, like the, the more that they probably realize they don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, can I, I'll keep the mood light for two seconds. Bill Cosby, the Cosby show, when uh-huh. um, there was a snake in the basement, Claire found a snake in the basement uh-huh. and um, <laughs> Theo was like, don't worry, the snake can't climb up the stairs. He's like, no. He's like, yeah, it's a, you, they can. It's a scientific fact. So he just went on his son's information, right? So Claire's like, I don't want that snake climbing up the stairs. And he goes... Of course, you know, like, like Bill Cosby's character, when he, when he pretends he knows something, he's like, uh, Claire, Claire, yeah. <laughs> the, snake, the snake can't climb up the stairs. And she's like, how do you know that? He says, Claire, snakes do not climb upstairs. She's like, who told you that? He's like, it's a scientific fact. She's like, oh, yeah? Well, how do they get up trees? He goes, Exactly. They fall Wait. off the cliff. <laughs> and then the snake expert, uh, Claire, said um, they, don't, they can't climb up trees. She was telling Rudy. And then the guy said, who told you that? Yeah. They can climb up trees, walls, you, you, know, um, you know, stairs, you name it. They can climb it. And she's like, Cliff. And he's like, Theo. And Theo's just like, you know. <laughs> so, I still remember that. <laughs> So, uh, uh, but that's a light example of how received information um, makes liars of us all, right? Like, yeah. is Cliff a liar in the classic sense of the word? No, he because he right. honestly believes uh, the information that right. was given to him. So, honestly, for me, you have there's a if I call you a liar, you're in trouble, dude. You fucked up because I have a very high a very high standard for someone yeah. uh, to be actually be called a liar. To me, so a liar is someone that takes something that they, something else that they know to be true and, and yeah. deliberately bears false witness to deceive you. That's that's a liar, okay. you know? That's, um, a, that's a fair, that's yeah. a fair description. Because to, to me and you, I mean, there's nothing worse than people who are stupid, <laughs> which is protected ignorance, but a liar is too. A liar is, a, a, an intelligent liar is, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, trust is a big thing. Trust is a very big thing, and and I am I am one of those people too who are, I'm very keen on people keeping their word, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is there's one thing when like you commit to something and you can't, and you let people know and say, hey, this is something I can't. Like, that's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. Life happens, right? But when you do not keep your word, that's a character. That's a character issue. Yeah, yeah, because your word. I mean. If mm-hmm. you're in the business saying you have my word and <laughs> not in the business of keeping it <laughs> who are exactly. what are you what are you exactly. you know yeah. i mean and and the way i grew up in my culture you know i'm, I'm just not didn't have a lot of money you know I'm, i was a check to check dude my friends coming up with me we're all check to check we're not 
wealthy people were not weren't millionaires weren't entrepreneurs you know weren't you know playboys we were just we were none of those things worth 10 of them because what we had was our work you know so yeah yeah um, and that's everything <laughs> yeah so listen the um how well received was this this um I don't know what to call it a mission mission statement or like your objective, you know, uh, that produced these results. How how uh, well received was it within the surfer surfer community, and um, yeah, and the people in the out and some of the people on the outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. So for Cirque Negra, um, which because I, I think Jason knows, but for those who are listening, probably don't know, it's a five hundred one c three that endeavors to diversify the lineup in surfing from both a gender and cultural standpoint. So um, our mission statement is to make surfing accessible for to any kid anywhere. It's almost like democratizing the sport of surfing. And um, those who know about the sport, like it is kind of like counterculture, very like closed off. Um, but ironically, it was very well received. And I think it was all about timing, right? Because the original concept for this nonprofit started in 2016, but didn't actually like come to real fruition until 2018. And by then we were already into like the Me Too movement. Um, we were already into a, like having conversations about race and diversity and equity and inclusion. And so I think that the timing was right for this particular initiative. So to answer your question, yeah, people have been vibing with it. I'm not going to lie. Like people are like, wow, that's cool. And it especially in a lot of the surf communities who are predominantly male white, it's like a light bulb goes on and like, oh my God, you're right. Like everybody I surf with looks like me. Yeah, we need to get this going. So everybody's been cool with it. I like that. I appreciate that. For volleyball, very synonymous. Um, uh. A white, white male dominated sport. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. in the United States, it's predominantly female. But if you look at the professional scene, um, mm -hmm. I speak for many of my male and female counterparts that they're more galvanized and energized to watch the men play. Uh, um, there's so few women's finals that generate interest. You can name them. Like right now, April Ross mm -hmm. and um, Kleinman, everyone's down with that. That's that that made that finals matches was bigger than the men. They had a five-star FIVB event, wow. wound up U.S. and Canada. Everybody was more energized than they were Phil and Nick, you know, or Taylor Crab, you know, and Jake. Uh, when Kerry Welch played, you know, with Misty May, that was Kerry Welch right now is I think is the most popular player in the history of beach volleyball, male or female. Um, and um, certainly not not just American, international. Everyone knows who Kerry Welch is. Everyone knew who Misty May was. Phil, oh, yeah. I mean, Phil. Oh, yeah. No, but Phil Dahlhauser, some people on the outside looking in, there's a handful that know who he is. But the people on the outside that don't watch the sport, that tall, bald guy that could block. They don't even know his name. So I'm just I'm just being real. So but the thing is, if people are using Carrie and the and, and these these four or five women as an example, that's a testament to how the pro scene is male dominated. So um, for sure. For sure. And definitely. Yeah. I had a talk with someone off the record and I don't want to mention I ain't trying to out her. Maybe I out her at the end of this conversation because I'm stupid. <laughs> like that. Um, she asked me she was she, it's, I was her first I, she was interviewing me. And we got into the subject of racism in sports. And she said, would we agree that volleyball is like the least racist sport? And um, I said, probably, but let's be careful with that. Because the least racist people make the illogical leap to no racist, no racism. And I have too many people 
tell me stories. And again, I can't I re I, I can't mention names for two reasons. Um, um one reason is if I mention if I mention names, no one's gonna fucking talk to me anymore. Now, I, right now, everyone, everyone talks to me because I'm a ship that doesn't reach a port. Cancel. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cancelled. Uh, um, <laughs> um, but no, but the reason why people come to me, I, and I did media for years for for indoor and outdoor volleyball, is because one, I'm easy to talk to, and two, they know I, I don't. I'm not out there airing their laundry. So, but I've talked to too many black people to, to talk that tell me stories of racism from um, different levels. Uh, F, uh, AVP all the way down to the local scene and this and that so it does exist so I, I I like what she said because volleyball is a meritocracy and that's what she got into like if either you can play well you know enough to make the draw or you can and I'm like and we, we had a conversation about meritocracy right we were like I said running when you're running stairs in a building you're doing a corporate challenge me and you are running right i run 44 stairs you run 66 all right you're a fucking gangster good for you um that's right. that's right. a meritocracy so the stairs is a meritocracy getting in the building is not right that's and see i think that's the biggest thing that people are not grasping during this time period, right? It's not about, okay, once you're in the game, what happens? Yeah, we can level the playing field once you're in the game, is getting to the stadium. That's where the issue is. And it actually starts from school age kids, right? What kind of what kind of resources and access do they have to say, okay, I wanna choose volleyball as my sport. I wanna go to school before school and actually like have the equipment that can allow me to rival other schools and participate on the same level. Or if, if I'm in Florida, am I going to live in a district where I'm going to be welcome to go to the surf break? I think we talked about this. That's behind the million dollar home, right? Once they get into the water, cool. Fair game is getting to the game. That's the issue. That's the issue. Yeah. Chris Rock said it best. Um, I think it was Kill the Messenger. It was 2008. Um, he mm. basically said, listen, I live in Alpine, New Jersey. You know, I got a mansion out there. He, it was like, ooh, he's like, don't hate the play. I hate the game. And he mm -hmm, says, mm -hmm. in my neighborhood, I have four black people. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's me. There's Jay-Z. There's Mary J. Blige. And there's hey. Eddie Murphy. And he says, you know, the guy, the white guy that lives next to me, do you know what he does for a living? He's a dentist. He's not the best dentist. He's not mentioned in the, the Journal of Medicine or Dentistry. He's just a regular pull your teeth dentist. He says, now think about the black men in my, in my neighborhood. He says, Jay-Z top five rappers of all time me he's one i'm 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 a brooklyn kid i can't help it all right him <laughs> him, him and eminem I agree with that. him and eminem they could play, they could play those white and black piano keys all they want but that's one and two a one and one a one and one a um eddie murphy <laughs> as far as stand-up stand-up comedian performances top five to ever do it the, the only thing better than eddie murphy delirious is eddie murphy raw what <laughs> yeah mary j blige the queen of soul the torch got passed to her by aretha franklin chris rock is like me 
I do. I Chris Rock is the last. <laughs> listen, Chris, Chris Rock is the last guy that's allowed to tell politically incorrect jokes without getting canceled. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could talk about gay guy. people. He could person. talk about white people, black people. Uh, he could say, you know, Barack Obama should be president. He could. He should marry a white woman. You know what I'm saying? He yes. he could say those things and get away with it. So he's he's he's. But he says, do you know what a black dentist would have to do to live in my neighborhood? He'd have to invent teeth. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember that show. I remember. And he is so right. He is so right on a lot of levels. And like for people who don't want to believe yeah. it, you have to walk in the shoes. Yep. And you just at this point, you just have to take our word for it. Yeah. I mean, even myself. Right. Mm-hmm. It still hurts some days when I have conversations with people and they assume that I'm just a surfer. I graduated from an Ivy League school. I was in corporate America, executive meetings, traveling the world. But that's not the first thing thing they assume when they see me. Jesus, right? that's why I like you. <laughs> no, all, but it's, it's all of my long term relationships were girls with uh, Ivy okay, League education. Yeah, yeah, okay. Including, but don't tell your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's gonna be like some of them trying yeah, to like, but they're mm. trying to like this. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's it's true, and that that's that's one thing that I think we as people of color, i.e., black people, understand about this world, right? We know that we have to be above reproach, we have to go above and beyond, just to get sometimes what the mediocre white man gets, and that's real. That's just real. I don't care if they want to accept that or not either. Uh, and you know, I, and I don't want people to use examples. Dane Blanton, right? It's like, I'm like, wow, the broadcast team is all white. And they're like, what are you talking about? Dane Blanton, he's he's part of the broadcast team. And I'm like, Dane Blanton is an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the man had to win a gold medal just to just to sniff the, 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 the booth. <laughs> Come on. It's like, any guy from South Bay, it's like, uh, you know, boy, you could be anything you want. It's like, I know that, Dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know what else, though, Jason? Um, The one thing I see, here's the thing. The one thing, one of many things that surfing taught me was you really have to analyze and come up with what you really want in life. And it can't be defined by what other people say that you want, right? And when I gave myself the permission to say, you know what, I want to surf. I want to make a way for other little black girls to get here too, because it's not just about the action of surfing. It's, it's the confidence they're in after you learn how to do it. It's your grounding piece. It's your peace. It's your joy. It's all of this stuff wrapped in one that will allow you to not to allow the influence of the outside world and what society thinks you should have or says you should have to affect your purpose in life. Right? So like that thing about, you know, being upset because, Black people have to do X, Y, and Z just to get, you know, to the baseline of what other cultures do. That kind of stuff goes out the window when you realize who you are and your power in this world. And there was um there was another thing that my friend and I were talking about, like in terms of blackness, femininity, empathy, sympathy, all of those things that the world keeps telling you that are weaknesses. Those are the very things that this world needs. That's the probably that that's probably the source of most of the strength in this world. Are those soft skills and components and emotional emotional attributes that a lot of people try and stifle sorry i'm off my soapbox now <laughs> my dear girl it is a podcast you were supposed to and on this podcast i think we i are you 
already discovered we basically say whatever we want and mm-hmm. I, I like well listen I, i'm glad i got a guest like you because it comes from a real place comes from an educated place comes from an honest place but yeah man but i like listen i like ivy ivy league educated women you know <laughs> I'm, I'm fifth look i'm 50 as of sunday i just turned 50 years old so i think it's safe to say i got around but all of my long all of my long-term relationships you know um kelly you know she, kelly went to harvard you know the That's other one went to yale so another one so harvard <laughs> yale and princeton those are my three long-term relationships okay of uh, dartmouth okay in dartmouth so there are four in dartmouth that's yeah. cute that's cute i'm it's, a northwestern person but yeah. you know. i'm not saying everybody that goes to an ivy league uh, school is smart but i like my chances <laughs> I, like, I like i like my chances <laughs> what that's like rolling the dice. You're looking for like a six and like four <laughs> sides of the dice are six. <laughs> I'm going to choose that. I want a six. I'm going to choose that dice over there. I know that's right. I know that's four, right. I'm wait, not mad. Four sides of that dice is a six and I'm looking for a six. <laughs> oh, um, so you, you, you stumbled onto something very, very uh, worthy of talking about. Society um is opinion is dictated to them sometimes uh what we believe in is good is what we're told and then sometimes there's a collective of people that come together that changes the narrative of what we're told and i think that's where we're gonna have to be if and people if things are gonna have to um move forward because right now uh, uh, we're doing a running man and that's a good day <laughs> you know yeah. the running man standing still you're running when I, you know the, oh, i mean on any day we're not going backwards it's like a good day and that's that's shameful and that that, that has to change yeah. but i think what we're told is right and wrong gets repeated is a, there's a bandwagon fallacy the premise is popular right mm-hmm. uh so you mm-hmm. have a bandwagon fallacy if it's popular it must be right then you have mm-hmm. a false dichotomy which you're either with it or you're against it um, and mm-hmm. then if you're if you're in the middle of you're undecided, there is the the first commandment of logic breaking the first commandment of logic in a debate. Um, thou shalt not attack the person's character, but the argument. So yeah. I've already given you three of the Ten Commandments. And, <laughs> and before you can eat, someone can even have a conversation that a real conversation that the first three are already broken. They're already broken. They already yeah. come in on a bandwagon fallacy. You're the you're the down with it or you're not right nothing in the middle and if you're not down with it you're you're a fucking idiot so and there's the divide you know yeah um yeah and that but that's a very interesting way of putting it i've never heard of it put that way but that's a very interesting way of putting it. you inspire me i just came up with that (laughs) shit right now dude just now i'm 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 like harrison ford and raiders of the lost ark i don't know i'm just making (laughs) making it up as we go along you know (laughs) what do we do after that i don't know i'm just (laughs) ad libbing no, but very, very important. One of the other important things that Chris Rock said, the day that a black man is allowed to suck and be a professional athlete is when we arrived. Mm. <laughs> right? The wow. day when a black guy is allowed to suck in his sport and still get yeah. paid a lot of money. Like, come on, Kwame yeah. Brown ain't playing basketball no more. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, it's very true. Mm. It's very true. And you know, like, I... I I've, I've had to quote unquote unpack this for a while because um, I'm very type A for a long time. I mean, like ball buster type A in a boardroom will like rip them out and shove them down your throat. Yeah. And I realized that it was because I felt that I had to be like them in order to win. 
right? I had to be something that I wasn't in order to win. And when I tell you, it just like killed my spirit and, and compromised like everything I was in terms of what God made me. And it wasn't until I left corporate America that I really started to feel aligned, more aligned with my purpose. And I felt more powerful in the things that I didn't do versus the things that I did. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, if power is about taking care of the things you can control. And, and yes. if you worry about some of the things you can't control, you, power starts to seep away. At least in your mind yes. it does. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that peace, man, that peace was incredible because then I started seeing opportunities that, to be honest with you, they were there all along, but I was just too busy trying to do my own thing, trying to be something I wasn't in order to see it. And, and honestly, like the, the, what you asked me earlier about like how people receive the message and the mission of what I'm doing, it's reaffirming that it is necessary what I'm doing because of how people are receiving it. And it's not just our target demographic, which are like young, young black girls between seven and 17. It's everybody. Like they get it. And I think it's because there's this like ease about it. And it like, it's not, it's not indicting people. It's not like trying to force people to realize something they're not ready to listen to. It's just literally like teaching people how to be their realest self, period. And, th- and that's important. And, and I mean, if you can do that through surfing, um, it makes people better human beings. Isn't, is, see how that translates? See how that trans that um, yeah, transcends? That was good. You know? That was yeah. good. It's true. <laughs> Listen, I've been coaching volleyball for 21 years. I've been playing for 30. Um, volleyball yeah. has doomed me in many ways because I'm obsessed. Like, if you're obsessed with your sport, like you, I suspect you may be, it's, it's equivalent to COVID. It's, you, there's no cure. And you have to ride, and you have to ride it out until until that feeling goes away, until (laughs) until until the next time it comes back. So, um, yeah, uh, volleyball. I mean, uh, I've been able to make better human beings through it. You know, I was a head coach at City College. City College, you know, not not really able to recruit that much, right? West Coast, nobody wants to go. It's too cold. Um, p- people are scared of black people. Don't want to don't want to go in Harlem. It's on it's on 138th Street, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of my recruits were, um, well, my A recruits were immigrants, uh, Dominican Republic, um, you know, some some West Indian people who play when they were kids, and those are my talented players. But you don't get all of them. You only get like three, and everybody else, you you know kids that play soccer, kids that play basketball. So me, I'm, I'm ex-military. So as far as there's, there's a general blanket of discipline, respect me. Don't, don't let the young face fool you, you know, cause when I had that job, I was 33, but I looked 23. So, you know, they didn't even know I was the coach. I'm sitting in the waiting room with them and they thought I was one of the recruits. They're like, are you playing this year? Are you playing with us this year? Are you, no, dude, are you trying out for the team? I'm like, you know, no. So, and then I'm, you know, then I go in a room. I'm like, hey, everybody come in and come in, sit down. And they're, they're looking at me like, I'm like, come in, sit down. So, you know, you have to you have to shock them like that first. But you, you teach some of these kids, one, that life ain't fair. Yeah. Right? And they accept life ain't fair. And there's two things. You could lay down and die or you can do things to self-improve. And then and if you self-improve, there are things you can do to influence others to do the same. And that's I call it the Brechtian approach. Bertolt Brecht is a, a playwright who believed that um, no one individual can 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 change the world. 
He can mm-hmm. the one individual can 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 cause an inciting incident that can cause collective change. Right. And I mean, in this in this current climate, is, is there a better example right. than than right. what happened you know, in in Minnesota? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is uh, um, this inciting incident made people yeah. raise all kinds of hell? Yeah. You know, you know, it's it's funny because I wanted to ask you a question about. Um, well, I'm still like I'm still straight. I'm not. In, uh, what? Oh, oh, no. Sorry. You had another question. I have a question for you. Cool. All right. <laughs> All right, you sure it's about volleyball? Podcast. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, no. So my question, because you said that you know, with sports, especially with volleyball and coaching, that you're like creating these like exceptional human beings, and I want to ask for you: Do you find that volleyball is less about the action of the sport and more about the character and the person that you're building? Um, the higher the level, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the lower level, no, it's all about action because you have to know how to play. But yeah. the higher the level, whoops, the higher the level you play and the more that everybody is of equal skill set and of magnitude, your your mindset is, uh, the muscles between your ears is my specialty right now. I've been doing that so long. I, I mean, uh, sometimes you got to coach juniors and coach kids that you remember to teach people how to pass, set, block, or whatever. I'm just like... Man, do I need to break out my drill book again? I need, I need to go on YouTube videos and watch people half my age uh, teach me how to coach volleyball all over again. But um, yeah, the mindset is important. I mean, th- th- listen, that that team, bunch of Harlem and South Bronx kids, we ended up third in the conference. That was the highest they finished in 11 years. Uh, wow. First home playoff game in the history of their program. Uh, wow. First invitation to Northeastern Collegiate uh, Volleyball Association playoffs. Uh, first time right. in 12 years. So, um, I, and one year, you know, I was able to do that. And then I, I quit because I was doing theater. I graduated Marymount Manhattan College. And uh, when someone asks you to be in a play, you know, in the playwright, when you know, one Pulitzer for best drama, you gotta, you know, yeah. And I'm like, I love volleyball, but I did go to college for this shit. So, you know, I had to put some volleyball on the shelf or something. Oh, does that answer your question? Go, it does. I it does. Your, yeah. It really does. And yeah. I, I think it we've I think it almost would be flipped, right, for surfing because like once you're when like learning the fundamentals of surfing, um, it 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 touches on a lot of personality traits that you have mm-hmm. because I call it the masterless sport. And um, if you're used to just like methodically doing something over and over in order to like master it, surfing is not that because there's so many different variables that come into play. But I think as you get higher up in terms of like your skill set and your level, then I feel like it's more about like being a machine and muscle memory, et cetera. So it's, it's funny that you said it that way in terms of like when you're lower level in volleyball, then it's more about skills. When you're higher level, it's more about who you are as a human. It's the exact opposite with, yeah. with surfing. Um, here's my question. Um, mm-hmm. and this is why I answered your question this way In volleyball study show, which I don't always support. Cause I, I, I always, I always want to look at the damn study before I say study show, but it's widely, <laughs> it's widely accepted that, um, male team, uh, team success comes through leadership and performance and female mm-hmm. success comes through fellowship. You know what I'm saying? The the um, whatsoever you do to the least of my sisters that you're doing to me. Um, so as far as coaching and success in your sport, how true is to that? How true uh, to form is to that with surfing? 
as far as males? Is it? I, I guess my question is: Is it a generally accepted thing in all male and female sports, or is it just something that the coaches collectively have noticed in volleyball, the sport of uh, beach volleyball and indoor volleyball? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I definitely, you know, I, I think I would agree with that. I think it's kind of similar because when you when you surf with women or females there's a different vibe in the, in the water. Like, yes, we can be like fiercely competitive, but there's, you, you, you vibe off of each other. Right. And you tend to like rise with the tide with guys. It's, it's just different. It's very different. Yeah. It's a, it's a different kind of um, experience. I think I learned more and better with guys just because of like how I've grown up and like what I've trained myself to be and like, you know, I, I lean in certain situations towards like, you know, pushing forward the masculine part of my personality. But um, yeah, like looking at these little girls and like how they learn, there's a lot of nurturing going on. There's a lot of camaraderie. A lot of them don't want to go out in the water by themselves. So yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Cool. And me, I, I really sucked as a women's coach for so long. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing worse in the world than a, a woman's team doing everything you ask of them and they still suck <laughs> and i'm like what am i missing and then i realized it was that and that's why i answered your question the way i did i mean they knew how to pass i mean and look if i'm your coach you're gonna know how to play this game and you yeah. know you're, and you're gonna have a discipline off the court where you, you respect other people's time you come on time you know you you shut up when the coach is talking you know stuff that that rubs millennials and all that stuff the wrong way but this old school <laughs> principle that makes you ready for life all right yeah i don't want you sure. leaving my team you know work get a job and think you deserve a promotion in two months, you know? And then someone says, you only been two, here for two months. I'm like, don't talk to me like that. No, I, you're not my player, man. That's not my reputation. Don't tell right. them I was your coach. Lose my number. Right? So, um, like, you, I don't know to you. Yeah, lose um, my no. number. <laughs> you know, one thing you said, actually, it made me think about something. Um, it, it's confidence, right? Because like, I think that a lot of times, women especially or girls especially can have the physical ability to do something but there's like a mental block because of confidence because they're going into a space that they feel like they shouldn't be there right because it's been male white male dominated for forever so there is this layer that is probably unspoken and that most people probably wouldn't admit to um that can create a barrier and about you know visualizing right because we both know that most of sports, athletics, is about the visualization. And I think about surfing and my personal experience with surfing and learning how to surf, had I been 10 years younger or even 20 years younger, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it because of all of the barriers that came into play. Like had I not had confidence, I wouldn't have been able to overcome mentally. Like I wouldn't have been able to visualize myself paddling out into alignment with no one who looks like me, um, learning how to get like barreled or even like learning how to duck dive or get pushed down into the washing machine. Like none of that kind of stuff would have happened had I not been confident in myself to go out and do it. Nice. In volleyball, we have a, a term called goofy foot. Basically, for example, if there's a right-handed hitter that has a left-handed approach. 
um, kind of goes against the grain. And there are a lot of uh, people, professionals, that are goofy-footed. Um, and, yeah. and in theory, biomechanically, it limits your range. You're going against what your, what your mechanics are asking you to do. But if you look at Phil Dahlhauser, he's a goofy-foot Olympic gold medalist, right? You look at Lion King, you know, Samoylos from Latvia, goofy-foot. So there's so many examples of goofy-footed players uh, that have a lefty approach. And I understand when I did some research the first time I heard it, you know, you feel like you're insulting someone. I'm like, I don't want to use this term. I'm just going to say non-traditional approach. But I understand it was a surfer's term. Can you educate us on what, on why, um, what a goofy foot is in surfing? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty basic in terms of my understanding. Is I'm actually goofy as well, but it's pretty much where like your left foot is your base. That's where where your power is. That's where like you're able to control the board. And then of course, regular is the opposite side. And um, it's funny because how they test for it, you literally stand face on, they push you back, whatever foot you step back on, that's your real life. That's where you default to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm goofy. And it's funny that you, you, you said it's, it seemed as, it seems like a handicap of range and I'm actually right-handed, but I'm goofy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Phil, mm-hmm. same thing. Right-handed, left-handed approach. And I think the reason for volleyball if you're a coach and you see a kid that's doing that, you try to fix that right away, you know, mm. because because in the beginning stages, you could change their steps because their muscle memory, uh, they don't have to unlearn it. You know, you mm-hmm. get them from the ground up. Um, yeah. But sometimes when you have these tall players that jump really high, it, mm-hmm. it's very, very easy for coaches to just look from the waist up and just look at this guy's reach and how he's blocking and how he's, you know, approaching and hitting and just throwing a ball down that – you assume the steps are right. There's no way this dude gets mm. this high or whatever. But sometimes they're just elite athletes and they're finding their way, the best way mm-hmm. they know how to get in the air and outreach people and perform and do the things that they do best. Karch Karai is a name that people outside of the sport heard of. Yeah. Karch Karai um, is what I call a goofy foot and traditionalist. When I watched him play in the 84 Olympics, someone showed me a video and I'm like, holy shit, the best player in volleyball just did a lefty approach. And he hits with his right. And I said, I want to see that again. So the next approach, he did it right-handed. He did it traditional. I was like, okay. I was just seeing, ah. shit. I was just seeing shit. One jump later, he, he, just, he just fucking did it again. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, he does both. And two-time indoor gold medalist. Uh, one, a one-time beach gold medal. The first time it ever became an Olympic sport, he and Ken Steffes. And the guys who we regard as God. You know, and, and, and beach volleyball. So um, I wanted to get back on, see, like we were, t- we talked in the beginning of the podcast about something we see initially and you can't, you have kind of a first take on it, but as time goes by and you get more information and ed- education on it, um, you, you, you either say, okay, I understand. I still feel the way I feel, but I, I get why they did that. But, you know, for me, I'm kind of set in my ways and there's a, there's a, not an agreement, but at least a mutual respect there. And then there's some ways where you're like, wow, I fucking get it, you know? I'll give you an example, um, but I want to ask you first. What was your first take? This is probably 2016 when you saw Colin Kaepernick kneel and then made the news. Mm-hmm. My first take was, wow, I haven't seen a peaceful protest in a really long time. That was my first take. My second take, of course, was, I get it. I really get it. Um, And I'm glad that someone was using that platform to bring awareness to it. 
And then my third was literally after it was having conversations with people who didn't get it. And um, it was disappointing, but it was also affirming that current mood of our society and our country and the leadership therein at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Very good. Can I give you an example on how someone who wasn't adamantly, adamantly not, uh, I wasn't adamantly against it. Um, mm -hmm. When I first saw him kneel, and this is coming from me, who is both black and white, coming mm -hmm. from me who, um, sir, I'm a Gulf War vet, right? My father, Vietnam War, grandfather, World War II. Uh, my kid sister, two tours in Afghanistan, you know. Um, I saw that and I said, interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get his point across. I don't, and I said, as a guy who served in the military, I don't see, like, there's the, the national anthem, there's the flag, there's him. I don't see the connection. I don't see the logical connection. I don't really see what one thing has to do with the other. But um, I knew two things that everybody, every true veteran, every true patriot should know this. Not nationalist, patriot. Every true patriot knows one of two things. One, history is kinder. Um, to this individual than the present day. One and two, um, God, I, I can barely remember this. The two, uh, maybe I just don't know yet. Maybe I just don't. I, I, maybe I just don't know yet. To me, the flag um, is well. The origination of the flag it was a military guide on in the, in the Civil War. Yeah. It was a guide on, and people fought for this flag, and they because it represented that and this and that. And then I thought to myself. He is kneeling peacefully. And that, oh, yeah. no, that was my second point. My second point is the Constitution is there to protect unpopular things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Everybody says, oh, the Constitution's messed up. It's, it's for the white man, this and that. No, 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 no. I couldn't disagree more. The Constitution is there to protect unpopular things. Me, my family fought for the right for this guy to stand or kneel or mm -hmm. sit. Um, yes. did I consider yes. it disrespectful? No, the guy's taking a knee, you know, yes. is he, is he doing this or doing this? No, right. that's, I mean, right. that's disrespect. I don't, uh, this is my honest to God first take. I'm not someone that's jumping on board because now it's a bandwagon fallacy. And now, and I, sure. I gotta tell you, he's looking really good right now, isn't he? Looking you know, real but, good. but, um, real good. <laughs> I no, but. There, there are people who are like, oh, he's disrespectful. He doesn't like the country. Oh, we're America. Fuck this, this N-I-G-G-E-R. Yes. Uh, um, yes. And then there's black people like, hey, oh, that's the new black fist. More power to you. But somewhere yeah. in the middle, and this is important for everyone to understand, was a, a bunch of people, the silent majority. The people, yeah. when they speak, get gaslighted. You don't know, you don't know anything. You're either with us or against us. The silent majority, they were like, I don't get it, but... And I, I guess I will. <laughs> Someday I will. But for now, yeah. the Constitution is there to protect unpopular things. I am, yeah. a, I am a patriot. I'm a fucking GI Joe. All right. Mm -hmm. The difference between patriotism and nationalism is, I love this country in spite of who their leaders are. All right. Some people love this country because of who their leaders are. All right. Are. All right. Yeah. Like Barack Obama, there are a lot of people. He's black. I'm black. I don't care. That dude, that dude <laughs> could drone anybody he wants. I don't give a fuck. Then there's people who like yeah. Trump. Uh, Trump himself said I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they love me. And there are people that love him. So uh, I'm not a nationalist. I don't 
uh, when this country makes a set of rules, I don't just follow it because that's what they said, and 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 I'm an Amer- uh, America lover to leave it. That's not, that is not an American. That's not the American way. All right. Yeah. That's what Americans, a white white nationalist Americans, say to black people. Yeah, black people have a problem. Yeah. Oh, it's America, love it or leave it. White people have a problem. Let's let's see what we could do about that. You know, so <laughs> so I don't I don't me me I don't play that shit. All right. So I'm 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 and anyone that's listened to me, come message me, come see me. If you have the balls, if you have the balls, if you have the testicular fortitude to have an honest to God conversation, come see me. All right. The testicular fortitude. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll name names. There's a friend of mine, George DeLuna. He's like, listen, mm-hmm. um, if standing for the flag and putting your hand over your heart is showing respect, uh, my question is, isn't kneeling by that rationale, isn't kneeling disrespect? And I said, if you live in false dichotomies, yes. If you live in this world where you're completely one thing or yes. completely the other, um, I understand yes. why you would feel that way. But how about he's neither how about um let me maybe maybe i'll go a little bit blacker on this how about it's not the america he 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 sees he knows and loves you know and he wanted to sit for the anthem because that was his way of protesting and then his one of his players who was um uh, i don't know if he was delta force or army special forces but definitely a member of the spec ops community was like you don't want to sit dude you want to show respect at the same time no take a knee take a knee so he got that advice from a veteran so that but that was my take my first take and i wasn't for or against it i just said it's his it's his look it's his right it didn't and it didn't even rub me the wrong way there's certain things that rub me the wrong way to me if someone burns a flag i I don't know if that's against the law or if that's someone's freedom um i got a problem with that I got a problem with that, but free speech is, again, is not there to protect, you know, that, right. that I'm, anyone, to me, honestly, anyone who burns a flag, you're just not my friend. I don't, you know, I, I just don't, I, I, listen, I'm, I, this is my admitted you. bias. I'm biased. I hear you. All right, I'm biased. It doesn't I mean, make me a white racist. Yeah, it doesn't you make just, me. You have a right. You put your life on the line. Yes, Absolutely. and I don't think that that's a race thing. There are black people mm-hmm. who put their lives on the line. There are immigrants who don't, who don't even have a green card. That's serving mm-hmm. the military and, and hopes that someday, you know, maybe the green card, maybe the military service gets them a green card. That's that's yeah. what I, that's what I'd like to think what America is about. And if everyone doesn't believe that that's what, what America is about and if there's and they need to find a way of showing it. And, and in a way, if you're showing it to no one that's not listening, it's a tree that falls in the woods. He has to yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny because like you said, you, you described like some of the takes on it as being like a part of false dichotomy, which I think is 100% right. It's it's right or wrong when it's benefiting or comfortable for them, right? But when I saw Colin and what he was representing, he was truly representing a lack of mutual respect, right? So it's like you're asking him to respect the the tradition of standing up and putting your hand over your heart, right? But as a American citizen, as United States citizen, there are certain purposes for the police, the role of the police to protect black lives that they're not doing, right? So it's like, how can you ask someone to uphold their end of the bargain when the other end of the bargain is not being upheld? And I think that's one thing yes. a lot of people neglected to see. 
right? It's like, no, we're not talking about outsiders coming in. We're talking about United States citizens. We're talking about Americans here. Just as you who's saying he's wrong, you're an American, but hold up. If the shoe was on the other foot and that was happening to your race, how would you feel? And I think, again, going back to those, those personality and character traits and qualities that people call weaknesses, i.e. empathy, that's the strength of America. That's the strength of this nation that we're lacking because people are neglecting to be empathetic to other people's experiences. And it is, it is a Christian virtue. Absolutely. Because, uh, um, Jesus said, whatsoever, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers that you do unto me. You do to me. Absolutely. So even Absolutely. if someone's a racist, racist mm-hmm. meaning in the classic definition, the inherent belief that one is superior or inferior based on their race, even the, 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 the worst racist can identify with humanity. I just think there's just so much hate, there's so much bitterness based on insecurity and tradition that that makes people not follow that path. And I, and Absolutely. and the day that people can stop stop describing them as them mm. is the day that mm. we can that we can um you know do do, do you get what I'm you said a word. yeah do you, you get what I'm word. saying right yeah well I I. I it came from it came from a, an angry place, and I apologize for that. No, right, that's um, good. Well, what happened was people love to show stats when it's convenient, but they don't examine the stats. They don't examine the lurking variables. Like, yeah. I have a friend of mine. It's like, why are black people? Why don't black people worry more about black people killing black other black people than white people killing black people? And then they mm-hmm. ran this number. They're like, well, why keep White people kill white people 83% of the time and black people kill black people 91% of the time. So I get mad in two ways. And I'm like, so there's a B minus and an A minus, okay, as far as killings are concerned, right? That's that's ridiculous. So one is you got hit by a bus and the other ones you got hit by a Mack truck. So you're like, you got consider me consider so you consider black people considerably worse. Because the you know I'm only the bus <laughs> I'm dead but you know a bus is exotic has passengers that care about me Mac truck you're fucked you black people are fucked okay so um so I was I it rubbed me the wrong way in two ways one when a white person considers kill kills a white person it's murder but when a black person kills kills a black person they're killing they're killing themselves yeah ooh. Isn't yes. All right. Yes. Uh, two, the biggest lurking variable to these FBI stats and stats are facts. Facts are facts. Can't argue with facts. Okay. Um, the lurking variable to this facts are if black people are poor than white people in this country, they are more poor. Poorer people are more likely to commit crimes than richer people. If poorer people mm-hmm. are in communities where they live with each other, there's going to be an increased chance of black on black crime than white on white crime. Okay. And the stat has no fucking bearing on this argument because black people aren't killing other black people because they're black. Black right. people are not racial profiling their own. Uh, now they got me saying them, you know, or, the, you know, uh, um, or our own, whatever. I mean, however, you know, and it came from an angry place because I'm black and white, you know what I mean? You know, that's I'm, a good I'm a little point. Bit I never thought right of it now. that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I have never, ever, ever heard of someone say, you know what? I'm going to go after him because he's black. 
as yeah. a black person. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yep. Yeah, that, that nigga's high. I got <laughs> it. Yo, t- yo, tulip, let's go. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But you can you appreciate even if the stat and even if they're doing, they're going facts are facts. The facts are, are, are not generated from what racial profiling is, right? That's true. Those 83% are white people that are killing other whites. They're not racial profiling white people. Yeah, it's true. It's look at that true. fucking redneck. It's, I just want to put, hilarious. look at that fucking redneck. I just want to put a bullet through his head. Come yeah, on, right, stop, right. stop. Yeah. You know? It's the, it's, the narr- it's the narrative that society, for whatever reason, has wanted to paint to create the system that we're in now, yeah. right? And so, um, unfortunately, like, it's been fed for so long that it's normal. It's normal. And even in times like these, it's still normalized in terms of, you know, how we view each other. Because we, we use them. Because we use them. Those pronouns, yeah. 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 We use them. That's a very profound way of thinking. Like, once we stop saying them, that's that's going to be the day that things change. Yeah. That's very profound. Yeah. I was a student at Marymount Manhattan College. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Hunter for a cup of coffee didn't want to go to school I just my major was volleyball okay I, I didn't even go to class I just wanted to have sex with, with you know I just got out of the military best shape of my life I just want to have a lot of sex and just play volleyball all right cool I'm, I'm glad you're real with it yeah so two at a time don't even it. need no lunch hour so um <laughs> gotta go gotta go so um I went to Marymount auditioned got in ranked number two in the country looks like mm-hmm. South Bay looks like a lot looks like la la land right um Rich, fat, white girls, rich, skinny, white girls, you know, this and that. Uh, of course, uh, I found out later they kind of typecast their their recruits. So you have the token black guy, the token black gay, <laughs> token black gay guy. Um, then, you know, black girl who's who's a dance and, and the theater performer, right? Uh, the high shoulder, good looking, whatever. You could do fame. All right. It's like fame <laughs> in college. So basically what happened was there was a stir because a lot of the players are classic. And a lot of the plays, they were casting predominantly white people. And they weren't mm-hmm. doing plays of color that allowed mm-hmm. this plethora of black people to not just be token in this play. Okay, we got to have yeah. at least one or or they're yeah. going to, you know, or they're going to breathe down our ass. So we, this guy, Ishmael Wilson, he's 21 years old at the time. Just mm-hmm. fucking brilliant. I'm 33. I'm a returning adult student. Military yeah. service, whatever. Um, okay. And he created UACT. United Artists of Color Theater. And he says, you know what? Hmm. We're going to do our own fucking play. Yeah. He borrowed a performance space. As the, we call it the eighth floor. It used to be a swimming pool up there. They got rid of the swimming pool. And there was just this big carpeted floor where like people, you know, dance people practice. They, um, uh, if you're doing a scene, you rehearse it. It's just like everybody running scripts, yelling at each other, being all dramatic. But it's a practice area. So we, <laughs> we, we acquired that space from Student Affairs, which is not controlled by the theater department. We um, got the rights to um, to do Fucking A by Susan Laurie Parks. Look wow. her up. Look her up. Susan Laurie Parks won Pulitzer oh, for, best, for Best Drama for um, uh, Top Dog Underdog, uh, which most, Jeffrey Wright most deaf. But um, Fucking A, we, we got um, the, the, the thumbs up from her. We auditioned white people, black people, anyone to be part of this play because you needed basically 30, 31 people to, to, to do the to play. So... What happened is it got buzz 
Holy mm. shit, Rachel Perez? She what? She's auditioning? Wait, you know, we we got um in the boom boom room. You, you know, wow, how come people didn't come out and audition? Well, they're in that play and they're doing that play fucking at the same time in the boom. The faculty's doing in the boom boom room. So wow. BFA students had to audition for in the boom boom room. Uh, but if you were BA with a con- concentration in theater performance, in your contract, you could do, you could audition wherever you want. You know, BFA, you couldn't even do outside work during the academic year. So you needed permission. So what happened was we did this play and then the scenery and design people are like, hey, I heard you're doing this play. What can I do to help? I can do clothes. I can do sewing. Uh, this person's specialty is scenery and rigging. You need lights. I got lights. You know, what, what do you want to do? You know, um, some people are majoring in directing. They're like, um, yeah. what, how is Ishmael? What kind of guy is he? I'm like, he's a mean cuss. But, but if you work for him, you're going to learn. And we did this production that we ran out of folding chairs. People were standing in the back. Um, Susan um, Watson Turner, who uh, directed the first production of The Wiz, was there. She came through. Susan Laurie Parks did not, but it just generated this huge thing. So what happened was they had this banquet award for best play, which is usually produced by the faculty. Uh, We won best play, not produced produced by the students. And then the next year, Patricia Simon, who's the musical theater um, head, Mm -hmm. decided to do ragtime. So she did ragtime and a lot of people got so much work from fucking A and we were still doing our thing with, with um, you act that a lot of yeah. black students opted not to audition for ragtime. And um, she came up to one of the students in the faculty office. How come you're not auditioning? And she's like, well, we're supposed to do the Ethel Fugar tribute, you know? Um, yeah. And she's like, well, that's the last time I do this for you people. You know, and she walked out. And the problem is there's like <sighs> three people who are in the room uh, because the faculty office is run by, stu- you know, part-time students yeah, looking sure. to get an extra buck. So that word spread. And there, and a lot of the people like, well, she didn't mean anything about that. But I'm like, she's, <laughs> she's a bitch, dude. She's a bitch. <laughs> and then what? the reason why I'm telling this story is because three weeks ago, um, Marymount had um, a seminar raising mm-hmm. BLM awareness, black awareness, and just, you know, the effect of Latino and black people in in theater. And she fell asleep during the seminar. And it made the New York Post. So I got to pull it up. (laughs) I'm going to give you the floor a minute, but when I give you the floor, I'm going to look for this shit. Um, Her name is Patricia Simon. Bitch, you're outed, okay? You're like, Um, (laughs) she is... Um, stern and hard, but she's also extremely bigoted, you know? Yeah. And yeah. for her to say that just came from this weird place. And a lot of black people left it alone. Yeah. And me, I left it alone because she's musical theater. I'm, I'm just straight up BFA and, or yeah. MBA. Uh, so yeah. I didn't, that wasn't my minor. I had yeah. nothing to do with her. I only encountered the woman one time. Um, basically, yeah. I'm walking across the hall. You know, you walk across the hall and someone's staring at you and someone's staring at you. You can either say, you know, hi, be friendly because it's uncomfortable. You, you're looking at each other saying to me, hey, what's up? Um, mm-hmm. Or you could be like, you could do the Brooklyn way, like, what's up? What? You know, she's looking at So I went, <laughs> so what happened was she walked by and said, hey, how you doing? So she looked at me and just goes, just keeps walking. So when she walked by me, I said, that's why nobody respects your ass, you know? And then she stopped. <clears throat> And turned around and looked at me and I just went, when I walked around, all she saw was my back and I just went like that. <laughs> you know, I don't tolerate that that disrespect. I'm 33 years old. I'm uh, At the time I was 34. I'm a returning adult student. I'm working full time. 
I'm putting myself yeah. through school. All right. I can't even tell you. I'm not saying I sold my ass to get the money, but I can't even tell you the things I had to do to, do to put myself through school. Um, yeah. Just for this person to, to think she could treat me like yeah. I'm there for her. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I think in certain environments, when people feel that they need that you need them, they'll position themselves in in this like dynamic that is a better than less than scenario, right? Right. And I, I do feel like, unfortunately, um, there are a lot of situations where people of color are positioned in a less than scenario, even though they are far from less than. And it's unfortunate, especially when it's in a developmental environment like a school, like a school that that gets me to no end. And I'm sorry, like I like I have we, we've talked about this. I have my thoughts on cancel culture, but in a learning environment, I think it cannot be tolerated. Yeah, no cancel culture is t- I tease it because it's super necessary. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, look, I, I think sometimes they go too far. But listen, yeah. without Malcolm X, you don't you don't value the teachings and, and peaceful, whatever, of Martin Luther King, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So cancel culture is necessary. You know, like, why yeah. can't you be like everybody else? Thank you, cancel culture. You know? Um, <laughs> no, but am I right? Like, Martin Luther King got the, sh- the shit kicked out of him just trying to dem- protest peacefully. But then when yeah. Martin, when Malcolm X is like, you know what? Someone takes a shot at me. I'm going to shoot back I'm at you. Back. In fact, I'm shooting back. <laughs> right? I, I don't know if there's a, a correlation between the Black Panthers and Malcolm X, but the Black Panthers is the best example of the Second Amendment. And what the yes. and then the language yes. of what the Second Amendment intended, you know, yes. uh, uh, take up arms against unfair treatment from the government. Yep. If there's no yep. better, there is no better example of exercising your Second Amendment, Second Amendment right than the, than the Black Panthers, right? And I'll tell you what, if there are more Panthers, there'd probably be better gun regulation. But that's a whole <laughs> other story, okay? Uh, this is the article. It's a different podcast. No, but when no, but when Malcolm X uh, said, you know what, you shoot me, I'm gonna shoot you back. You know what they said to Malcolm? How come you can't be more like Martin Luther King? How come you can't be more like him? So um, I hate to use the word super necessary, but that's my um, my grade, super necessary. Here's the article. I'm going to pull it up. Yep. And there it is. And there Please it say is. they said her name. Wow. Where is it? They yes, the negligence name. and disrespect. They didn't put they didn't put her name, but since it's my podcast and I I think whatever you didn't know about me, you know now. I don't really care. Patricia Simon, you have been outed, okay? And like I told you in that that brief meeting, this is why nobody respects your ass, okay? How about that? Um, So basically, I think we were talking about inciting incidents. Um, yeah. that, that lead to these things where certain people think you go too far. And I I don't condone rioting. I, I can say I understand the rage. I think that balls that seems think something that's balls up that's that's boiling over. But I'm not speaking from a white place. I'm speaking from a black place where um, violence isn't violence isn't the answer. Like looting stores that you, you, you that you came up with um, yeah. as opposed to going to Beverly Hills or the Upper West Side, you know? Uh, I mean, please, we didn't, they, they didn't care until they started marching and they were really, really loud on the Upper East Side. 
you know, mm-hmm. my friend Catherine mm-hmm. Parent lives on the Upper East Side, and she's like, "Dude, I'm just, yeah. I'm taping my windows." <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing. Like when it becomes personal, that's when it's an issue, and that's that's the definition of privilege, right? Or mm-hmm. entitlement. Privilege is it's not an issue until it's your issue. If you have the option to engage, then you're privileged. Yeah. Yep. And I think privilege is another example where people have to just under, they have to um, understand and uh, eventually in time they educate themselves, right? Like you'll see, there'll be a lot of white people out there. I'll use her name again, Catherine Parent. She's on on the podcast. She was discussing vaccines, infectious disease. She's kind of like my specialist on that um, because, you know, COVID's scaring people. So I had her on the podcast and she's like, look, I was against this whole white privilege thing. I've, she says, Jason, you've known me for 25 years. I worked, she says, we both know I worked for every freaking penny that I got. I'm, I'm, there's no <laughs> privilege, you know? So, so there, listen, there are a lot of white people who grew up poor, who grew up in a trailer park. And then when someone comes up to you and talks to you about your privilege, you don't want to hear that shit. But as time goes along, and then you're like, okay, I am poor and I am these things. But when I'm leaving the club at night, I could walk home. And if a cop drives, he's not lighting me up. You know, it's right. different, you know? Right. So, and sh- that's what she said. She said, I go to a party at night and New York could be dangerous at night, but the only danger I, I have is street harassment, you know? She's a good looking girl, you know? So street harassment's a real yeah. thing in New York, you know, cat calling all that stuff. But, yes. but, yes, um, <laughs> but she doesn't have to worry about being lit up because of the color yeah. of her skin, you know? And yeah. um, I think eventually, like I said, the silent majority, of people like you know, I'm I'm not privileged. I work hard, just as hard as everybody else. They start to as long as they listen, and as long as you don't gaslight them, you know, uh, um, uh, and make them feel stupid and crush them into silence where they just do this. Um, yeah. That's how that's how everybody uh, becomes enlightened, and that's a uh, that's how a woke culture, um, and in the classic sense of the word, really becomes woke. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I was only able to allow myself to talk about this. I looked on your Facebook wall and it says, I don't believe America should accept any president. We need to be single and ah. find ourselves. <laughs> I love that post. I <laughs> love that post. Yeah. I was Is really there something you want to say about that post before I go? Before I go I mean, Is there anything I you want to say to me? I don't remember the exact timing that it happened, but I think I was like, you know, personally probably feeling that same thing, but. <laughs> yes. Well, this is how people vote intelligently, right? Mm-hmm. If they, they're in, they, they're set in their ways, but they listen, they're enlightened. Um, listen, the best way, like if you don't want, Trump, let's say you don't want Trump to make, to get in the office. Right. Don't call people stupid. Don't call them Trumpeteers. Don't call them all of them racist. That is not your way of saying we want your vote. Because quite frankly, if you look at what the left did, they the left basically the last time around were all but saying that we don't need your vote to win this. And, Pretty much. Pretty much. And they you were know, and they did win the popular vote, but they do need certain votes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's very true. And it, and you know, it's funny because um I think a lot of people try again, it's that whole trying to mute the other side. It's extremely important, especially in politics, to understand what the other side is saying and doing, right? So you listen to all, at, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> keep going. No, there. keep going. They you can, can hear put you. that out there. Um, this is, listen, this is, is an audio. Is they don't need to see this. <laughs> it's important to understand, like, the thought process 
for all parties involved because during an election, all parties are involved, right? And I think that the mentality of like, oh, I'm just going to do what I got to do and just my side, my side, my side. But no, we're, we're actually in the same boat here, right? Like we're all in this country here. And guess what? After the election, whichever side wins or whoever is in the office, we're all still going to be here. So like, let's not try and act like or delude ourselves into thinking that, like you said, we don't need your vote because after it's all said and done, we're still going to be here. You're still going to have to look us in the face. You're still going to have to work with us. We're still going to have to get through all of this together and make this country a better place. And unfortunately, because of that mindset, look where we are today. Wow. Well said. Well said. Wow. And I think that's that was um, that's your support and your premise behind that statement, right? For me, I'm an independent. Um mm-hmm. And then for a little while, I registered Democrat, and now I'm registered under no party preference. Um, yeah. I tease Democrats and Republicans. I call them Democrips and Republicans, um, like they're because they're the biggest. If there if there are two bigger gangs in the United States of America, I need to know who. So, I would like to take this time to apologize to Crips and Bloods because I don't even think that they is bad. So you, so Crips and Bloods everywhere. I apologize. Okay, don't mean I'm not. I didn't mean to say that to cast any expersion on your gangster life. All right, um, but it's important to know the candidate, regardless of political party. Um, yeah. The person I supported was Tulsi Gabbard because I told myself if I'm an alien that landed on this planet, regardless of gaslighting regardless of stories you want to make up what someone did 10 years ago or what someone's parents did or what someone uh, uh did or this or that who i think is capable from leading in day one she goes mm-hmm. into the white house mm-hmm. and you need someone to lead you need someone that the rest of the world respects um there who is capable of doing the job on day one you know everyone says there, there's no on the job training i'm sorry there's yeah. it, the president is on the job training then no one's no one came into the no one became president that had prior experience of the presidency that's just not how it works right um right you don't you don't get to run and then and then four years later hey uh, look at my resume i was president for eight years there's no so so basically it is on the job training um which is why um donald trump wasn't even a politician became president barack obama who was a junior senator uh, um just ascended past establishment politicians uh, at the time, which which was Hillary Clinton. I thought her, I honestly thought her star was on the rise in two thousand eight. You know, she she went through the, through the usual channels. She was um, senator in New York for a while, and she you know she she played the game where she had to. She she made tough decisions where she needed to. She was, in my opinion, the most qualified candidate, but the least trustworthy. Um. um on on a on a on a national scale, like even other Democrats didn't trust her, but it was a, it was a vote blue no matter who. You didn't want that orange man in office. In fact, the Republicans didn't even want him in office, but they were so embarrassed about how well he won, they had to make it look like it was what they intended all along. But think what he did in the, in the debates, right? Like Jeb Bush was like, you know, my brother made this country safe, and Trump was like. 9-11 happened under your brother's watch. Trump was right, okay? Um, what else? Um, Ted Cruz said, oh, New Yorkers are kind of funny. I don't trust the New Yorker in office. Those, those people out there, I don't know about their morals and this and that. And basically, Trump said, listen, those firefighters that went into 9-11, those police officers put themselves in harm's way. You're trying to say they don't have morals? And I'm like, congratulations, you fucking idiot. You just made a dummy 
You just got outworked by a fucking guy that does, that's not only not in politics, but not someone that I think is collectively uh, um, has witty responses. He just, Trump really just crushes you and talks over you and bludgeons you with words. The man, you gave this man wit. And there was a silent majority. And I, God, I can go on. But there was a silent majority of people that felt like under eight years, they got left out by Barack Obama, right? The ACA saved a lot of people, but it made a lot, it left out a lot of people. A lot of people's premiums went up. Um, dying in America is the most expensive thing you could ever do. A lot of people trusted him to close Gitmo. It didn't happen. A lot of people were not down with him droning people who were suspects without trial, you know? Um, so a lot of people are against um, spying, you know, uh, uh, the government spying on our fucking phone call. So uh, a lot of this had to do with Bush and Obama, okay? Because the uh, the um, the Espen, um, the Patriot Act that allows you to spy on people, that was a Bush thing. And then Obama was like, okay, let's go. Let's let it roll, you know? Um, yeah. What else? Uh, Fast and Furious? Yeah. You ever heard of that? Fast and Furious is when we were no. funneling weapons into the Mexican cartel to figure out how they were uh, buying our weapons. So basically, uh, we were selling them weapons um, because we were trying to figure out where they were buying their weapons so basically we were selling weapons and then finding out who we were competing against because the competition our theory was the competition would drop the price you know what i'm saying sell more weapons to outcompete the, the 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 fake um traffickers you know we were we posed as fake traffickers um but they say Barack Obama is responsible for that, but that, that was Operation Gunrunner in 2006. He wasn't even in office. It got changed to Fast and Furious. So two different presidents, same name. So in a lot of ways, the, you know, people were tired of politics as usual. So there's a silent majority of people that weren't staunch Republicans. They're not racist. They, they voted for Trump because they want something different. And, there, and that, a lot of that majority, they're not voting for him twice. I'm telling you, I have a lot of friends on both sides because I speak for both of us. We don't cancel out our friends because we have diff uh, differences of opinion. They're not voting for him twice. Joe Biden right now is on a dementia drumstick and, and he can't even remember what he ate for, for dinner. And he's still better than Trump. He, stay, he stay, would still rather vote for that guy than, than Trump. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an interesting time. This is going to be a very interesting election. And one thing I keep telling my family is that I really hope that I see the day when all of the books, the research papers, the class, the college level classes come out about oh no, about no, what good. happened at this time. You know. <laughs> wow. No. Wow, I, I'm very interested in how they're going to teach our kids this. <laughs> Oof, Seriously, you know? like look at the Seriously, because I mean, I feel like there's so much that we don't know no. that are that's, that involves so many other elements that we don't know about. I went through my entire junior high school and high school life not knowing why we went into Vietnam. I didn't know until I, I had to, you know, a little bit in college, but I had to really find out for myself. I had to learn about the the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Um, that actually triggered the whole war. Um, they said, you yeah. know, we've we said they fired on this first, found out that it never happened, and and weren't, you know, um, think about the Iraq War in, in the early two thousands, right? What are what are our kids being taught in high school and college? I don't know. Are they really gonna Are they gonna say that it was a massive intelligence failure? 
Are they going to say that we, well, uh, George Bush came up to Dick Cheney's like, Dick, how sure are you that we have weapons of mass destruction? 100% sure, Mr. President. We have the evidence. It's cock strong. It's, you know, it's harder than, yeah. harder than, harder than a rock, you know? So, I mean, how are they teaching that? Is that an intelligence failure that they blame Bush? Is it an intelligence failure that you blame yeah. Dick Cheney, who a lot of people consider uh, the puppeteer behind this whole thing? Pull the strings on Colin Powell, pull the strings on Bush, who was who was easily fooled because he wasn't really like, you know, he didn't have foreign policy experience. He was deferring to the people, the same two people that worked for his father, right? An administration that had a dick, a colon, and yeah. a Bush. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna see we're gonna see i don't i'm i'm like i'm i feel like it's gonna be the netflix series that i'm gonna binge watch i'll yes. just say that you, um do you ever watch the wire must see if you if you want to binge the watch, wire absolutely yes. one of my favorite one of my favorite shows in the history of television I have three: the Band of Brothers, absolutely, Band of, absolutely. Uh, the Practice, Band okay. of Brothers, and The Wire. Those are my favorite television uh, shows. You know. Okay. Yeah, I like court dramas. I, I get. I, get, you I like, like what? I like court dramas. I like, you know, David David Kelly was writing um, his 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 scripts on or, or screenplays based on actual case files. So, you know, you Hollywood you Hollywood it up a little bit, but. I really like the practice for that. And Band of Brothers, I liked it because I'm intrigued by World War II. Just the acts of bravery in, in the face of failed intelligence. You know, like the way they stormed the beach. And this, there's no way we should have taken that beach. There's no way. We, we, our, our intelligence failed. We were, there was supposed to be an airstrike. The airplanes got shot out of the air. Um, 101st Airborne are literally jumping out of the planes for their lives. They're, they're, they called it missed drops. So basically, instead of landing as a unit, they were all over the place. And their rallying point was anywhere but there. <laughs> so, right? Airstrike got, got um, nixed. Um, so when they when they came to the beaches, they were getting hosed. And somehow, some way, with this failed intelligence and just German sophistication, they still took the beach through the acts of just some awfully good officers and, and straight up brave Braveheart stuff. You know? So I'm intrigued. So... Band of Brothers, The Wire, because it's real. Straight up. The Wire, because it's real. It's more straight up and down than six o'clock. Very o'clock. real. Yeah. McNulty. How about Dominic West, man? <laughs> How about Dominic West? He's a Brit with a with the perfect Baltimore accent. <laughs> Did you know that? My guy was Stringer Bell, hands down. <laughs> oh, he's fine as hell, too. So another guy I'm gay, is, gay for. Yeah. He said, motherfucker, you take, he said, you take your notes on a conspiracy. (laughs) Remember the drug, the drug meeting, the the meeting with the drug dealers. He said, what the fuck are you doing? He said, you told me to take notes. He said, niggas, you taking notes on a, on a motherfucking conspiracy. Give me that. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) Moron. Yeah, man. So the, the character development, even the character development at the end, even when like some of the characters were dying, I was like, oh my God. D'Angelo. And it's, it's like, here we are. We have this like homosexual killer, stone blood killer who gets off by a little kid. And I'm like, oh no, yep. it can't go down like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, the kid didn't even believe it was that easy. <laughs> right? He's like, there was a little booney shot. He's like, like I, I just did yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And D'Angelo, when he was asking yeah. um, where what's his name was in jail, where the fuck is who or whatever. And I just started crying. Like, um, he ended up killing someone that was trying to get out of the game or whatever. Stringer Bell was just, was just, I like the name Stringer. He's just cutting all strings, all ties. Anyone that's a problem, anyone that could, yeah. that could offer you up, you're gone, you know? Marlo, another good, uh, intriguing yeah. character, Chris, Marlo's right-hand man, Felicia. Um, yeah. Don't you love when Felicia bought the nail gun? Yeah. Felicia bought oh the nail God, gun, God. remember that? Mm. Oh my God. You're like bringing stuff back, yeah. man. I haven't seen that series in... She's giving yeah, him money. Yeah, he's like, he's like, like you're you. supposed to pay for that up front. She's like, nah, you, you handed that shit, man. <laughs> and they're like, this is 800 bucks. She's like, you keep that shit, man. You earned that buck like motherfucker. <laughs> hey, but listen, yes. be, before you go, and since I've talked the whole podcast, I'm going to talk a little more. I'll leave you with this. I'll leave the, no, no, good. I'll leave the audience with this. The last few episodes... Um, Freeman, right? Detective Freeman goes up to McNulty and says, the job can't save your ass. You're taking down this case, case after case after case, and you, you think the job's going to save your ass, but at the end of the day, it can't save your ass. And I told my volleyball players that. I said, you're infected with volleyball. And it's become this great escape from whatever shitty world or normal world you have. And some people use volleyball and surfing as a form of escapism. And it seems like it's saving your life. And it does. But it's a, a, no matter how long it is or short it is, this form of escapism is very, very temporary. And it is a culture. It is a way of life. And you absorb yourself in it. But as you grow older, you realize it's still more than a hobby. It's not just a hobby. It's a way of life. Agreed? Were you with me on that one? It's a way, it's not just yes. something you do. It's a way of life. But when your escapism becomes your career, you need another outlet because when shit doesn't go your way, it hurts. It fucking hurts too much. And I knew what Freeman was saying when he told McNulty, you can take down this case and this case and it gives you a rush and you think that's what your purpose is. Because he was a scumbag in every other facet of life. He was just good police, okay, right? He wasn't a good husband, wasn't a good father. Yeah. Um, and he said the job can't save your ass. What saves your ass is family. What saves your ass is family with different last names, the people you hold dear to you, the people who you work with when you take down these cases. You know, I'm not, he said, I'm not talking about the, the destination. I'm, t I'm talking about the curving of the journey itself. You keep surfing and, mm. and you, you, you take the good and the bad and you take the pain and you take the elation and that rush you feel when you're out there, right? It's like, oh God, it's like someone that sucked the jizz right out of your penis, dude. Just right out of your, you, you look down, you're like, oh, <laughs> Ooh. so yeah, she's like, yeah, I think about my penis all the time, right? That's what you're saying right now. Yep. <laughs> you got it, Jay. <laughs> Just happened yesterday. Funny you should say that. So, um, <laughs> but hilarious. I think they don't get it now. And so many people will disagree with me right now because they're, they're prisoners of the moment. Uh, again, our sport are infectious. It's a virus. There's no known cure and there's still no cure. But you have to be able to have, when it becomes, your, your escapism becomes your career. You need something else to breathe. Yeah. 
you need something else to breathe. Maybe you're you're a vet, and I think you see where I'm coming from. Even if you don't agree, I think you kind of get where I'm saying. I do. I get what you're saying. Thoughts about what I just said? Anything? I think um, like humans want to feel, and they want to feel good about themselves, about their lives, about what they've done, about who they are and about how people see them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when they are blessed to be able to do something that touches on a lot of those components, that's where they tend to stay. And that's how they start to define their world. And, you know, unfortunately, there are, life creeps in, right? And can upset that balance. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you're able to find a level of peace and joy that honestly no one can really take from you i think that you you're succeeding in life because that in itself translates to other people not necessarily about what you do for other people but how people see that it's possible for what in every, whatever way that they can do it so yeah, yeah i'm here for it like and honestly it, again it goes back to what we were saying earlier it debunks all those things that society or life or family tells you that you need to do in life it's fleeting and at the end of the day, nobody is responsible for your happiness except for yourself. Yep. So if you can find that thing, if you can find that thing that gives you life, that gives you gives you peace and brings you joy, do it 100%. I don't care what nobody else says. That's right. Oh, my God. We, <laughs> listen, we close up shop on that one. I, I like what you said, and I'm, I think we can wrap up on that one. This is um, it's been a fun pack podcast. Thanks for taking this ride with me. I told you, I think you already knew that I would steer the wheel all kinds of directions, and thank you for taking that with me. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for um, enlightening. Wait, there was a steering wheel here. <laughs> oh, you didn't know, right? It's just, it's right, where is it? Right there. Ah. <laughs> I'm hiding it. You didn't know this square thing turned left and right? <laughs> um, no, but I I am eternally grateful. Thanks for enlightening our, enlightening our audience, you know, telling everybody, you know, because a lot of people in South Bay, they do surf and play volleyball, but for those, of those that don't, they could appreciate what you're about. They could appreciate what you're doing. And that's really what my podcast is about. That's my mission statement. I want interesting people. I want people to provoke thought. I want people to constantly ask the question because at the end of the day, it is about surfing. It is about things you love, but it's about the natural you and me. It's, it's not about right or wrong. It's not about good and bad it's not about black or white and, and, and well in this case it's definitely about black but but it's about the you and the me you know um and that's all i got listen she might love you guys but i had it with all of you guys all right i'm out of here okay for all of you at home all right for all of you watching on your ipad all right for all of you online on on your iphones waiting for your coffee at starbucks hopefully socially distancing okay for everybody listening to this it's also available for my girl, Gigi Lucas, I am Jason DeBellis, and we both say so long. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.